Usually, when you see a really good photograph, it has an impact on you. It creates an emotion. But that emotion is also usually what the maker of the image wanted you to feel. Today, we're going to go a different direction. Today's image lets you pick the emotion that you want. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. Nice to have you along for the ride. As always, you can find us at BehindTheShot.tv. If you're a new subscriber, please make sure that you leave us a review in iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. But again, you can always find all the show notes and photos that the guest puts up as far as gallery images at BehindTheShot.tv. So today's image is going to be a little bit different. And today's guest is also quite a bit different. I want to welcome to the show Kirk Marsh. Kirk, how are you, buddy? Hello, how are you, Steve? I'm really good, thank you. Good to have you with me, good man. Morning. No, thanks for having me. You know, I didn't switch to you when we did that, so let's do that little intro one more time. Hold on, I'm going to go back, and uh, here we go. So now the camera's only on me, and ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show Kirk Marsh. Hello. There we go. Now, that whole thing, I'm going to leave all that in, because that'll be fun. All right. <laughs> We need to talk about you because you are one of the most unusual photographers from a from a life story point of view that I've ever had on the show. You are, first of all, you're Texas-based, right, in San Antonio? Yep, I'm Texas right now, yep. But the type of photography that you shoot is, it's actually difficult to describe to people, right? When I try and explain to people, you, you've got good descriptions on your website, but oh, when thanks. I try and explain to people uh, the type of photographer that you are when I tell them that I was going to have you on the show... I almost need to pull up the web page to describe it. How do you describe what you photograph? I make weird stuff look cool. <laughs> it's kind of surreal. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've been trying to, I've been struggling with the same thing. Uh, cinematic transport of narratives. Okay. One more time. What's cinematic transport of narratives. Cinematic transport of narratives, which again, very, very fitting. No idea. But basically, yeah. <laughs> It, it's whatever you want to see in it. Uh, you are an environmental portrait photographer. Yep. Uh, but really, to me, when I look at your work, the fact that you're a digital artist and a brilliant digital artist really, really stands out. So you you don't just take a photograph. You literally create works of art in what you do. And here's what's on your about page. I have to read this quote that's on your about page. His work uses a strong sense of post-production to enhance a cinematic, transportive narrative, right? So that's kind of what you do. But who do you shoot for? You do advertising stuff. I do client work. I do personal work, a lot of personal work at this point, um, because since I have two careers going on, it's just uh, sometimes it's just easier for me to not try and take on too many clients too many things but but photographically a lot of your stuff you do for fine art but also Mm -hmm. in looking through your portfolio you've got killer editorial stuff oh thank you i mean some of your editorial style portraits the guy wrapped in uh Uh, right you know measuring Mm -hmm. tape or or caution tape it's tape measures yeah tape measures okay um is is phenomenal but you mentioned you've got more than one career so i want to get into that okay because in all of your pictures, I mean, with a few exceptions, probably. I'm trying to think through your portfolio now because I, I lost time looking at your portfolio. <laughs> uh, in almost all of your pictures, there is this immense sense of comedy and fun. Like you're a clown. The fitting, Which really, because I am. You are yeah. a clown. Exactly. So yeah. I've got to go there. I have to. Sweet. 
Yeah, absolutely. You actually toured with The Greatest Show on Earth. I did, yeah. Back in 2001, I was on tour with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey, and it was, it was really cool. Okay, I just want to... I got to think about this for a minute. The ability to actually say when you're older and you're talking to kids or grandkids or friends, oh, yeah, I toured with Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus. Yeah, it's a really good feeling. It's really cool. If I was ever yeah. going to get a tattoo for something I did in my life, that's <laughs> probably the one that I would get, right? You, you. <laughs> so they had a clown college when you were, yeah. I, I read the whole document. When you were around 20 or yeah. something, you realized they had a clown college and thought, oh, what the hell? And you went to the clown college and you became a trained, you know, certified, for lack of a better word, certifiable right. uh, clown. Mm. Now you do a solo show, right? Yeah, I do a solo shows. Uh, if every once in a while I do uh, ensemble work, but generally it's solo. Yeah. So this is just fascinating to me. I could literally spend a half hour, an hour just talking to you about this. Explain to me what it's like to be on tour as a clown. For me, it's been fantastic. A lot of time I spent uh, working on cruise ships, working the main stages, and so a lot of that work was... I, I sit around for about five days by the pool and hang out and talk to friends and edit photos. And then two days a week, then I would go and, and do shows, uh, do a 25 to 45 minute comedy show. And it's usually I was over in Europe or Asia because the show that I do, it's a silent show. So there's no words involved in it. And with no words, it allowed me to work for, um, it allowed me to work for anybody in any language so I would do shows over in Europe for Italian, French, German, Spanish audiences all and then all together in one audience. And everybody laughs at the same thing. It's that it's physical comedy. So it, it works for everybody. Universal language. Yeah. As it were. And, uh, again, yeah. absolutely fascinating thing to me. So also yeah. from your about page. Influenced heavily by magic realism, which I, I completely agree with, and, and that kind of leads us into today's shot. You were the winner of the 2018 Photoshop World's Best of Show Guru Award, and it was for this image. And this image is on the cover of, as we're recording this in early July, uh, was on the cover of the latest Photoshop user magazine. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when we talk about this image, let me bring it up because this thing, the, the moment I saw this thing, uh, I got it, right? I, I made the comment at the beginning that a really good image brings out, has, has an impact on the viewer and brings out an emotion of some sort, or in this case, lets you choose an emotion. The name of this image is Choosing Emotions. Let's, let's start with the technical. Uh, what's the exposure settings for this? Do you remember? Ooh, I don't have the EXIF data. I sent that to you, and let me, I let don't... Let me pull it up here really quick. I've got remember. notes. Me, uh, so we're looking ISO 80, F5, at one two thousandth of a second. But what's interesting is it's, it's a 9 millimeter shot, except it's not a full-frame camera, which we're going to get into. It's not a full-frame camera. It's a 9 millimeter shot, which in full-frame equivalency would be 42 millimeters. And the reason that this is not a full-frame shot is because this image is actually shot on a point-and-shoot camera. Show me the camera. I know you've got it with, with you. Yeah. It's this guy. So it's a, it's a, it's a Coolpix P7700 from Nikon mm -hmm. with a flip-out yeah. screen. Okay? Yeah, buddy. It's a point-and-shoot camera. So people, when you start having that gear acquisition syndrome, stop. 
I mean, unless <laughs> you're shooting somebody, there's always the little detail I miss, right? Somebody's going to go, yeah. I photograph sports. I have to have a DSLR. Okay, we get that. Yeah. But yeah, in yeah. general, it's amazing what you can do with, with a point and shoot camera. Yeah, I'm I'm blown away by this camera. I've loved it. Is that I've all you use? For, no, I've got I've got a Nikon D800 as well. Okay, um, but I did I did a full project, a 365 uh, project with that point and shoot camera because I just wanted to let everybody know that you don't need great gear. Was this image one of the 365? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I did it. Did that in one day. So for those that are listening on audio only and can't see the video, describe the image. So it's a man looking in a drawer, uh, chest of drawers, and he's got one of the drawers pulled out. And in that drawer are three towels holding three faces, happy, neutral, and sad. And the uh, and then on top of the chest of drawers is a passport and a map up there as well. And I was traveling a lot that year, and so I was I was in like. 12 different countries, 35 different cities during that, during that year. And like just all the time traveling, it felt like, so I was really like, okay, just gotta, just gotta let, let go and see the, see the passport. Well, see, and that was one of my questions that I had written down was I zoomed in on this picture and Mm -hmm. so that everybody knows when he says there's three faces in the drawer, happy, neutral, and sad, it's his face. Okay. It's, it's three pictures of Kirk in the drawer and it's just immediately when you see it, this is one of the most fun images. And I immediately thought to myself, why the passport? Now it makes sense. Why the map? Now it makes sense. Except I also zoomed in on the map and it's a map of the Bronx. Any reason for that? What, did you pick the Bronx or it was just random? It was because that was the map that was around. I was doing a 365 project. And since I was traveling so much, I had zero props that I could bring with me or schedule or do anything like that. And so I got to a friend's house and I was doing, and my, my rules for the 365 were that I had to shoot, finish and, and be able to get everything done post-processing wise with the, with the shot in that day before I went to sleep. So I didn't really have any time to go and grab other things or do anything like that. So so there was a map of the Bronx right there and there's a subway map. And I was like, Burr. kind of one of those random things. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. in looking at this image, the, the first thing that struck me when I, when I stepped away from the emotional end of it, right? Because this image really does uh, uh, periodically I'll judge an image competition. And one of the 12 points that you judge on is number one, in fact, is impact, right? This image immediately has impact because what was kind of cool was when you first pull it up, you can't see the guy opening the drawer. You can't see his face. Yet it's extremely obvious and clear that the three drawers in the face completely make sense on that head, right? That it's the same person that you're looking at. Um, but the detail is is crazy. How many, it's a composite, obviously. How many photographs is this? Oh, uh, one, two. So one as the base image. I didn't. I only had one towel, so I had to shoot that three times. So one, two, three, um, four, five, six, six or seven images, probably. Okay. So, by the way, did you have any special gear for this thing other than the camera? I'm assuming it was on a tripod. Yeah, the camera's on a tripod. A uh, little fold-up, cheapo tripod that would fit in my uh, backpack, and then I had a light stand. 
just over my shoulder here uh, with a with an umbrella box on there. It's, uh, so what's in it? Is, it? is is it a flash or is it a hot a fixed light? Yeah, it's a flash. It would be SB SB nine hundred nine ten is what I had in there. Okay, nine hundred SB nine hundred. Yeah. So so and that's the only light in this scene. Uh, yeah, mixed with the ambient light. Okay, interesting. So tripod camera, six or seven and, shots. And the ambient light probably didn't actually do anything because it's at one two thousandth of a second. Yeah, so you you block that out. It's it's purely flash yeah. then. So yeah. six or seven shots. L- let me understand. You only had one towel, and that was one of my notes in here. Actually, was the towels are perfectly the same uh, because you're obviously moving it. So you've got yeah. you've obviously got one shot for the towel in each position. Right. You've got one shot for each of the three faces. Right. And then you have the main master plate, which is probably just you holding the drawer. Correct. Okay. Did you take a shot of just the room with nothing, no person in it? No. Uh-uh. Just, okay. It's not, not necessary for that with, uh, because the drawers, the drawer wouldn't be in the right position. And, uh, and so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, God, there's so many questions going through my head right now. One of them is clearly for the facial expressions, for the shadows on the faces, you had to be aware when you set that camera up the angle that you were going to shoot at. Had you had you storyboarded this? Um, again, I don't I don't think that I storyboarded this this shot. This was May 29th, if I recall. And this so- was this year. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. Okay, all right. Um, but it was May 29th, and I had started the the 365 on um, January 1st. So I was like 160 shots in, like 160 deep. So at that point, I was like, "What have I? What can I do that is not the same as what I've just did a little while ago? And and what can I do that is uh, that like so after 160? Because almost all of them were composites." Right. So after after that, you start just being able to build like storyboards in your head that you that you really like if you're doing it day after day after day. So uh, it wasn't random, know. though. I mean, you did plan it. But but you brought up a really yeah. interesting point, though. And that is that when you when you do a 365 project, self-portrait 365 project and people say it makes you grow and, and inevitably the first couple of shots, you're saying to yourself, Oh, I've just here. I have to take another shot today. But when you get a hundred and something in, mm-hmm. it forces you to say, "How do I do this that I haven't done this?" There's the growth right there yeah. to start thinking yeah. outside the box because now I've I've got a hundred of these, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. Let's make a hundred and one <laughs> something slightly yeah. different, right? Yeah. Um, in this image the shadows are a huge part of it. You had to be aware based on where the flash was that it was going to create shadows in the drawer. And you've got those in there. We'll get into the post-processing here in just a minute and you gave me a video actually that we're going to play. So if you are listening to this on audio only, I highly recommend you go watch the video at BehindTheShot.tv because in the video at, at whatever point I play this thing, um, he goes through and it's a great one minute video on his, on his Photoshop stuff. But as you're shooting it, as you're in the moment, what are those special considerations as you're shooting the faces, as you're shooting the, the, the plates, as you're aware of those shadows, what are those special considerations 
that Kirk is thinking about to make sure that they're going to work when you when you take seven shots and merge them together? Well, what I was thinking about, like, I'm sorry, I'm looking off camera here. I was pulling it up on my phone so that I could see the the uh, the shot and the uh, video that we put together for in just a minute. Um, so the shadows, a lot of it was stepping into the stepping stepping into the frame with my hands on the drawer, making sure that I wasn't blocking any of the faces that were in the drawer so that you could see everything clearly. So I, I took a lot of test shots that way. And then also that the light was positioned so that I wasn't casting a shadow on anything in there. So that it was just a, it wasn't a, um, like I wasn't blocking any of the, of the, the story that was supposed to be happening in the show, in the shot. So, so yeah, for me, that and then also just making sure that it's it's a light that was that was nice and soft because I didn't want this to be a harsh harsh light. And and is is this a you know you said that it was in a soft box of some sort. Mm-hmm. Are we talking it's a big own. box? Is it like a small twenty four inch? It's not a box box. It's not umbrella box. So basically, oh, okay. it's the it's got the you open it up. It's got a black back and then a, a white face on it. Right. And I love that. I love, love, love that. It's like a, probably a, I think it's like a 36 inch or something like that. Once it opens up. Cause the and light here in the shadows are, are perfect. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that, um, modifier. It really changes the way that everything looks in, in images. One, I, one I, other I thing before I get into this video, as I'm looking at the shot, which trust me, I've looked at, I've gotten lost in this shot, right? There's a lot of really cool detail I don't even know if you thought about. From a purely compositional point of view, the rule of thirds is met. The passport mm-hmm. is pretty close to that upper right rule of thirds. The, the body holding the drawer open is on the left rule of thirds, but, but bleeds out of the frame in, in, a, in this amazingly perfect spot. So many people would have the he- top of your head too far away from the top or too close to the top. And all of that, it's just the, the whole crop and everything is is kind of amazingly clean here. Um, Let's take a look at the video. And as I start this, I'll start it here in just a second. But as I start this, um, I think you've got it on your end and you can start it too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because just so that the viewers know, he can't see when I run the video here, unfortunately. Um, I'm not a high-end TV station. (laughs) Yes, you are. Uh, So... When we play this, kind of give a run through of what it is that we're seeing, all right? And, and, and I'll go ahead and start the video now. So with this video, what, what I'm trying to do is, uh, oh, man, I, mine's behind. All right. No so problem. So we're going through, and the, um, so this isn't actually in order because the shadows under the faces will be a little bit off. Um, so placing the towels in there first, and then after that, I am putting in the shadows and then making the faces, cutting the faces out and uh, placing them in there, and then uh, more shadows, and more faces, more poses, more hurting my neck, um, and then... Uh, yeah, the hurting your uh, neck part. <laughs> yeah, right? And then just adjusting the exposures and everything, and then once I get... Right, extra shadow in there on the side of the face for the edge of the drawer, and then I uh, get the uh, textures and the color balance that I like in there, and uh, just mixing it all together. And okay, so here's the thing: the as you're going through that, and I'm watching how you held your head back to the drawer. You knew to get the right light that would match what was in the drawer. Your head had to be in that position. You did right. three of them with your head leaning back 
touching the top mm-hmm. of your head to the drawer so that you could match that kind of light. But yeah. afterwards, you placed shadows underneath both sides of the head. Even though you almost couldn't see the, the shadow on the left side of the head sometimes, you still put it there. Yeah. And yeah. then you shadowed the whole face over. What mm-hmm. made you decide to shadow the whole face over instead of uh, leaving the faces the super bright that they were? Uh, it just it didn't match. It wouldn't match the, the way that the, the photo all fit together. And you needed to have you needed to have them toned down just a little bit for it to match. And I think that the to make it look ambient. Yeah, exactly. To make it look like like it fit in that scene. And I think that the the important part also is the person holding the drawer open looking in there. You can't you can't have the faces brighter than them, but you can't have it dimmer than them either and so i think that just making sure that i got that all all balanced out was what i was really well and then you you did at the very end you completely changed the color tone of the entire room uh to a color that makes me feel like i'm in incandescent lighting in a bedroom Mm -hmm. as opposed to flashlighting right so incandescent being a different color temperature has that yellow tinge that that everybody sees in you know phone pictures in a house but the color that you picked here uh just super works with the image overall you got seven images do you six seven whatever it was uh do you process each image individually and bring them in or do you just bring them in as a layer and adjust them individually as needed so what i do is uh, i bring everything in as a as camera raw into the into the camera raw filter in photoshop and i adjust the first the main plate that i'm going to use to get to about what i'd like and then I just save that setting as a preset for for later, and then and so my I've got like four hundred presets in there that like dash dash yeah yeah oh yeah and underscore this one yeah so underscore um, final underscore yeah, real yeah. final yeah yeah right exactly um, and so so with that what I would do is is uh, it's do that main plate figure out the all the different clarity that I wanted and all the different things like that and then the shadows and the and the highlights and pull those where I need them and then after that I save that setting and then apply that to every image that I've that I've created afterwards and so that keeps me uh keeps me pretty good with with what I'm doing so I'm guessing in a shot like this the key part is you're laying down on the ground with your head back against that drawer mm-hmm. and Cutting out the faces, right? Masking those faces out has got to be dead on detail, right? Well, you, you got to do that. And the nice thing is when you create a composite this way, which I love to create, create composites this way instead of building entire worlds. If you create a composite this way, you actually can, um, you can kind of fudge it just a little bit. If, if had I not forgotten or not, if I had had three towels in the drawer, it would have been even easier because I could have just bled them in um, just a little bit easier. I mean, I guess kind of, uh, but what the, like when I was putting the towels in, since it's in that space already, when you can, your edges don't have to be completely right and you can get the shadow in, in that spot because it's actually in that spot. And so like say I take a picture and I have a hand here and nothing moves and I take another picture and have a hand here, then all I have to do is erase like this chunk. If nothing else has moved of that layer and I'm, and I'm all set. 
So, so yeah, it, it makes it a little easier, but yeah, you have to be dead on with those. And, and it took me a little while to get the, the clipping masks right on those because, uh, yeah. So, so here's a question I just thought of, because this is something people have a lot of trouble with the shadows. Uh-huh. Creating shadows is not an easy thing. Creating fake shadows. No. Do you, but, do you brush them in? Do you, do you mask something and then, then fill it and blur it? What, how, what, what do you use to create those shadows? Everything possible. And then I changed another 400 times. Really? Um, okay. Basically, yeah. Um, and what I, I just recently was, was at Photoshop world. I was taking a class with, uh, Glenn Dewis. Yeah. I'm sure you know him. Yeah. And he, he was talking about an animator that he was, that he was recently following. And he's like, this guy doesn't draw in his shadows precisely. He doesn't draw them in like really, really technically. He goes, eh, there's something over there because shadows aren't as detailed as we think they are a lot of times. Right. And so, and so what we, what we end up doing is like we create so many more problems for ourselves than we have to. So what I, what I like to do is take a, take a brush, smash it down into a nice thin brush and then, uh, then put it in uh, at an angle that seems to match the light where it's coming from. And then, uh, and then start with an, with a flow of like 2% or something like that. And then just layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of that is what I've been doing recently. So. And, and build it up until it looks real. Yeah. Yeah. And then darker, closer and lighter, farther away. Yeah. And actually that was, a, that was actually a good tip. And that is, people really do have trouble creating fake shadows and making them look real. And it's because yeah. we really want to see the the item that's being shadowed <clears throat> but shadows yeah. don't have that much detail we know what it is our mind connects the reality mm-hmm. with the shadow but then we try and make the shadow stand on its own and it really most shadows don't most shadows yeah. you look at and you don't know what it is unless you have the yeah. object there like this shadow right back here yeah perfect example is, oh hold right. on let me go let me go to uh, a full screen of you there we go so the yes. point so of that shadow, shadow the shadow right back here what does it look like nothing doesn't look like a leaf you know but it's a it's a a frond from a you know from a from a plant yeah and so so it it, i don't think that i think we all create too many problems for ourselves with those and and as you were you were saying a little earlier the most important thing about this was the 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 masking and all that stuff and i personally don't feel that the that the masking is very good on this one um like I did it in a day and didn't, and didn't touch it again. And so, and I started at like 10 o'clock at night and had to finish before I went to bed because I'm, I was stupid that day. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. but, but, uh, but I think that the most important thing is the concept. I think that more than anything, the impact of the image comes from the concept than it does from the, from the actual implementation of it. I'm sure there's some people that could do it way, way better than I can. That's um, a great point, though, technical. and that's the old thing about noise, and that is we all worry about noise too much. If, uh, you know, if, if, if you see an image and the first thing that you notice is the noise, there's probably something else wrong with the image is the phrase that I've heard so many times. Okay, uh, yeah. And it's true, right? If the image has the right amount of – go back to the old 1970s black and white sports shots, right? They're mm-hmm. not totally sharp. They're full of film grain. Nobody yeah. ever says, ooh, who did that? Right. right? We They're look like, at it in the cool. image. That's yeah, exactly. It, we yeah. look at it and it has it has impact yeah. and the impact supersedes 
any flaws that are in the image from a technical point of view. So yeah, totally true. If somebody wanted to try doing this uh-huh. and you could give them one tip to jumpstart them, not the same image, but you know, better compositing or in this particular case, the big one to me is thinking outside of the box. What, what, what's your one big tip to help people get started in creating stuff like this? So what I like to do for uh, when people are asked that question is, is to, to say, okay, the first thing you can think of is your location. Just find your location and your subject. And then after you find that, find one object and then try and figure out how that object fits or doesn't fit with the, within, the, within the scene. And then choose an emotion to play with that object in the scene. And that might come from the theatrical, somewhat theatrical background that I have. And so, because I think in terms of emotion a lot more than I think in terms of um, super cool Photoshop stuff. Um, Yeah, but really you just talked about improvisation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really that's what it is, is find the emotion and play on an emotion. Yeah, yep. Right. So people can see more of your work. Uh, I've got a small gallery of your work with the blog post that's associated with this episode at BehindTheShot.tv. But people can also see more of your work at uh, your website, right? Yep, So KirkMarshPhotography.com. Say that one more time. KirkMarshPhotography.com. Okay, and then what's your Facebook? Uh, KirkMarshPhoto, I believe. Okay, and uh, I think Twitter and Instagram, if I'm not mistaken, or no, Twitter is the same, KirkMarshPhoto, but then Instagram is KirkMarshPhotography. Correct. Right. Okay. So you can find him online, but the easiest thing, if you really want to find Kirk, is just go to his website, which is kirkmarshphotography.com, and you can find everything there. I can't say thank you enough, man. I love your work. I know you're traveling tomorrow morning to go do a clown show, and I don't know how to even say that without laughing. (laughs) You're going to do a clown show. I love it. I am. Uh, I wish you the safest of travels, and thank you very much again. Uh, Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for having me. See, we should do now, right now, you should do some kind of exit, like a stare. Oh, I mean like. Oh, hold on. See, I did it again. I didn't have you on full screen. Go (laughs) one more time. See, I'm butchering this. (laughs) There. That's pretty bad. (laughs) Kirk Marsh Photography, man. Appreciate you coming on very, very much. Thank you so kindly for for being on the show. Uh, Again, This is the Behind the Shot podcast. We try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. You can find me in a number of different places. My personal website is stevebrazel.com, like Brazil with two L's. Also, of course, behindtheshot.tv. You can find me on uh, Facebook at Steve Brazel Photography. And then Twitter and Instagram, it's both at Steve Brazel. Make sure that you check it out there. Other than that, we will be back with more episodes. Again, in case you are new to this, we have moved. We're no longer over at This Week in Photo. We're at Behind the shot.tv make sure you tell your friends about it let's see if we can get us up into the the new and recognized category in itunes drop me a review if you like it and to everybody thanks for joining us this is behind the shot 